allow the Spirit of the Lord to so invade who you are that it changes you literally from the inside out. That it changes who you are, that the Holy Spirit resides within you, and then that your outward expression of faith is demonstrably changed by the presence of the living God. I mean, the goal is to be different, is to live for the glory of the Lord. It is to live for His kingdom and for His purposes. It is to allow the Lord to transform you in such a way that you are giving praise and honor in all that you do and say. And yet many of us have these things in our lives that prevent us from experiencing that. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about some of those things that could prevent us from experiencing that. Things like um, responsibilities or routine or uh, assumptions or guilt or failure. And today we're going to talk about one that kind of encompasses some of all of that and is a major factor in preventing us from following the Lord. It's a simple word that holds great power, and it's the word fear. Fear. Fear of what might be, fear of what could be, fear of what might happen, fear of what will happen, fear of of circumstances, fear of repercussions, fear of consequences. Just fear. People are scared of some crazy things, aren't they? And people have crazy fears. In fact, some of you may have some crazy fears of your own. You've just never shared them. What are you afraid of? What is it that, that scares you? What, what concerns you? What, what makes your heart race? What, what gives you the butterflies in the stomach? What, what makes you begin to kind of, um, you know, just gives you a, a different feeling, a stress? What, it, what makes you afraid? I want you to share that with somebody. Turn around, find somebody around you. Tell them something you're afraid of. It can be a childhood fear. You don't have to get deep psychological. We're not doing any psychiatric help here today. So don't lay down on the couch and start talking. But what's something you're scared of? What's a fear you have? Crazy? Good? All right, anybody have somebody share a good one they want to share with us? Oh, Callie, yeah. Public speaking. Yeah, I'm scared of that too. Uh, somebody else. Courtney, it's the Brooks family today. Go, Courtney. Dogs or dolls? Dolls? Like baby dolls? Porcelain dolls. Okay, that's all right. Yeah. Sydney, there's going to be a freshwater what? You have an irrational fear of a freshwater shark in a creek. Irrational would be the operative word there, right? Anybody else have? Well, that's got a more... That was detailed. Anybody else? Claustrophobia. Good, nobody sitting around Robert back there, right? Mr. Bort? Blood. The sight of blood, your own blood, somebody else's blood, all those above. Do you pass out when you see blood? Anybody want to attempt to see if this works? We will Wednesday, all right? All right, here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get kind of the people you shared with. You're going to work together. Anybody ever heard of Balderdash? Ever played Balderdash? All right. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put some words up on the screen. You're going to, uh, you're going to, in your group, come up with what fear you think this is. Okay. You know how fears have phobia names. 
So you're going to come up with what fear you think this is. Some of you think you're ahead of the game because you were in the first service. I changed them, all right? So here we go. I know, Coat. All right. Here's the search. Oh, and by the way, I know you got your smartphones out. No Google, all right? Anuptophobia, all right? Get in your groups. Think about it. Talk about it. Anuptophobia. All right. Somebody tell me what you came up with. Fear of marriage? Not exactly, but very close, all right? It's the fear of staying single. Here's a little, you know, Greek lesson for you. The letter A makes without or not nuptial there, all right? So fear of staying single, all right? Here's the, se- here's the second one, xerophobia, all right? Xerophobia. Anybody, anybody got one they want to share? It's not the fear of xylophones. Fear of x-rays? No. Centipedes? No, but that's a good guess. It's not close, but it's a good guess. All right, this is the fear of razors. You know, like shaving razors. All right, two more. I know you're loving this. Here's the third one. Whatever it is. All right, pteranophobia. Pteranophobia. All right, anybody got a guess? Fear of brown? The ground. Okay. No. See, now, now it's bold. I, I like that you're still calling out answers, right? Fear of birds? Kind of, but not really. It is the fear of being tickled by feathers. Here's the last one, all right? Omphalophobia, all right? Now, if you were in the first service, this was in there, so don't shout out the answer. This was omphalophobia, all right? doesn't have anything to do with Willy Wonka, just for your, just for your uh, knowledge. Anybody got a guess? It's the fear of being asked what the fears are in church, right? No, it's the fear of belly buttons. I don't know any or Audi but belly buttons, all right? So here's the point of all of that. People are afraid of crazy things. Crazy things. Now, we would all say there are certain things in life that we might ought to be afraid of. But what I am going to suggest today that is, believer in Jesus Christ, part of what we ought to be about is consistently overcoming our fears in order to better follow our Lord. That our lives should be about consistently overcoming our fears in order to better follow our Lord. Over the last few days, I've been following this story of a man that's come to realize that the main point that that we need to realize as we, we look into this passage in a minute. And that is, as believers, we need to quit living as if the purpose of our life is to arrive safely at death. We need to quit living as if the purpose of our life is to arrive safely at death. I mean, we talked about, and we sang about, and Jeff talked about this, this unbelievable mercy that Jesus Christ had on us, that we were sinners caught in sin, and that Jesus, in living a perfect life and dying on the cross, ransomed us. He bought us with a price. He delivered us from our sins. And the point is, He didn't deliver us from our sins so that we might live a quiet 
comfortable existence until the day that we die. He didn't pay a price for you to make you comfy. We ought to be living our lives boldly before the Lord. I've been reading this week a story of a guy named Saeed Musa. You may have heard of Saeed Musa. Saeed Musa is a guy that, that some, some people got on Twitter and, and uh, it was kind of a big deal because uh, he's in Afghanistan or um, he was in Afghanistan and was arrested because he converted to Christianity. And because he converted to Christianity, he was arrested, he was put in jail, and he was sentenced to death. Well, some people here didn't know if our State Department was doing enough and made a petition and actually kind of developed on Twitter into this big big deal. And some big-time pastors and leaders got on board with this and said, release Saeed and sent letters. Of, uh, the, the, the leader of the Religious and Ethics and Liberty Council for the Southern Baptist Convention, a guy named Richard Land, sent a letter directly to President Obama and to Secretary of State Secretary of State Clinton asking for his release. And so all these things were working. Well, apparently all of those things went into place and they allowed some foreign dignitaries to visit Saeed in prison. And they talked about that they were in the midst of bartering for his release and he was excited and everything was good. Those foreign dignitaries left and immediately his jailers came in. And they said to him, He wrote this in a letter on February 13th, two weeks ago. He said that three Afghan officials told him he would be released within 24 hours if he wrote a statement declaring that he regretted his conversion to Christianity. Saeed wrote in his letter, I laughed and said, I can't deny my Savior's name. My life is just a service to Jesus Christ. My death is going to heaven where Jesus is. I am 100% ready to die. They pushed me much and much, and I refused their demands. In some ways, it's hard for me to even talk about fear here. Because when we talk about fear, we try to, I don't want to say trivialize it, but we, we talk about being scared of rejection if we talk to one of our friends about Jesus. But at the same time, I do see that in the church in America, there are people all over who are allowing fears to prevent them from following the Lord completely. First Samuel chapter 14. Turn your Bibles there if you've got your smartphone. You version should be up. We're going to talk today about a guy who did not see as his goal in life to arrive safely at death, but instead started to live for the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the opposite of fear? Bravery? Courage? Faith? We're going to talk about courageous living, brave living, faith living today. And we're going to look at a story of a guy named Jonathan. Great story in the Old Testament. The story of a guy that uh, was doing something that should have been done by his dad. Jonathan's dad, Saul, was king. He'd gotten in trouble. In fact, he had done some things that... The prophet of God had declared that he would not be king, that he had uh, disowned him as king. But if you've got your Bibles, I know if you're on YouVersion uh, in our live event, you don't don't have this this passage. But if you've got your Bibles open, look back to chapter 13, because I want you to see something in verse 7. This is the state of mind of the soldiers because of this Philistine army. 
Okay, Philistine army was a, a major army. It was a big-time army. They were well-supported. They were well-armed. Um, a little bit later, a few chapters later, they're the army that Goliath is from. So this is a big-time army. And verse 7 says, Some Hebrews crossed to the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. It says, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. That's in verse 7 of chapter 13. They were quaking with fear. So you have a scared bunch of troops. You have Saul who has just done something evil inside of the Lord, and Samuel has condemned him for it. And then at the end of chapter 13, it tells us that there were no weapons for the Israel army because the Philistines wouldn't allow blacksmiths into the country to make weapons. And so you have this situation of a scared army with a bad leader and no weapons. Not what you would call an ideal situation for a time to attack. And in chapter 14, you have this story of Jonathan. In verse 1, it says, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now, why didn't he tell his father? Why do you think he didn't tell his father? He wouldn't let him go. His father would not have been on board with the plan. Verse 2. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gabeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. None of them were aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. So you get the picture. There's a cliff here. There's a cliff here. If there's a cliff here and here, what's in the middle? Valley, right? One cliff stood to the north. was Michmash up to the south. Verse 6. Jonathan said to the young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Here's the first thing you have to realize, that if you want to live courageously for the Lord and move past your fears, you need to understand that courageous living involves uncertainty. Courageous living involves uncertainty. The most interesting word in this whole passage to me comes in verse 6 when it says the word perhaps. Maybe. Let's hope. There's a chance. I said this in the first service. Can you imagine if as pastor of this church, I called a big meeting together and I announced some major change? I, I don't know what that would be, but some major change. We're going to tear down everything we got and just meet on the parking lot. How about that? All right. And so I announced that and they go, somebody raises their hand, pastor, why are we doing this? Well, here's the thing. I think this is what we need to do, and it might be God's plan for us. There's a chance this could be what God wants us to do. Perhaps this is what we ought to think about doing. Now, what would the reaction be? Terry, Terry's on the yes, Lord. What if, what, if, they came, if we came back with that, do you think the church would be excited about that, Terry? No. Wait, well, they're not going to recommend it, but they're going to leave me out to dry, right? So the point is here. There's no certainty there. This notion that as a believer in Jesus Christ, that you ought to have certainty about everything you do 
is a notion that is not from the Lord. If you had certainty about everything, it wouldn't be faith. It wouldn't be. It means that we're able to move forward with some understanding that we don't have all the details worked out. I mean, we need to understand that we don't have all the ifs and ands, all all the, the perhaps worked out. We just know, and what Jonathan knew is, that this was something that was supposed to be done. We live in an uncertain world, and if you wait to have everything cleared up, you will be continually waiting. Continually. And so courageous living involves uncertainty. Here's the second thing. But the reason that you can live with the uncertainty, because it involves knowing who God is. Look what it says here. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. And then it says this immediately afterwards. And nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. The point there is this. Jonathan says, let's go fight those Philistines. I know it's just the two of us, but let's go. There's only one sword between us. We'll make do. And perhaps the Lord will show up. And if the Lord shows up, it is a mismatch for us. They don't have a chance. Because the Lord can save whether it's by a few or many. What basically Jonathan is saying is this. This is what the Lord has called us to do. This is what the Lord expects Israel to do. And he can save Israel and he can defeat the Philistines with two as well as he can with 200. Because it's the Lord. You don't just step out blindly and just do ridiculous things without the Lord's help. But you step out in faith, trusting in him. Somebody has said this about this this passage. It says... That we can act on an understanding of who God is and what he has commanded. Men and women who live courageously understand that you step into divine opportunities, trusting who God is, knowing it's on his heart, knowing it's aligned with his character, and knowing that it's in line with the scriptures. This is what Jonathan knew. We are God's people. They are not. In order for us to be what God intends for us to be, they need to be defeated. So I'm going to do what God would have me to do. Courageous living involves knowing who God is. And here's the third thing. Courageous living involves bold action. Perhaps uh, the greatest statement of faith in in this chapter is found in verse 7. It says, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with your heart and soul. Now let me ask you a question. What was the job of an armor bearer? To bear armor. Very good. All right. Now what does that mean, though? He carries armor. All right, that's good. He was like, um, he was the one that that equipped him. He was kind of like a secret service agent that was there to protect him. And the truth is, if he's the armor bearer, then when the battle gets going, who's going to be wearing the armor? The other guy. So if you don't have armor and you go into a fight and your job is to protect the one with armor, if somebody's going down, who is it? It's you. And he says to Jonathan, I'm with you, let's go. And Jonathan says, come then, we'll cross over toward him and let him see us. 
Isn't that a great line? Hey, I got a plan. We're going to go fight them. Let's let them see us. Here's the first rule of military strategy. Don't let them see you. My boys got outside yesterday and played hide and seek. Here's what I've determined quickly. Eli is much better than Luke. And here's the reason. He doesn't tell his brother where he hid. Right? Eli would go hide. Luke would look. I help Luke or whatever. He went this way. He would find him. Eli would say, Luke, you go hide. Luke would go hide. And Eli would be looking at Luke would go, don't come over here and look. Right? You kind of defeat the purpose. Jonathan says, listen, we're going to come out and see us. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, we will still stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, we will climb up. Military strategy. You want to be at the highest point. We will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. I would want a better sign. Right? Jonathan says, if they say, come up, climb up here, we'll know God's defeated them. I'd want to see a couple of Philistines falling. The, the fire from heaven, something. So both of them showed themselves, I love that in verse 11, to the Philistine outpost. Can you imagine what the Philistines were thinking? Well, it tells us a little bit what they were thinking right here. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they're hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan thinks exactly what we wanted them to say. And he says to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. You want to talk about bold action? Two guys climbing up a cliff to battle an outpost. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Panic struck the whole army, those in the camp in the field and those in the outpost, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. And then if you look down farther in that chapter, verse 23 or 22, when all the Israelites who had hidden heard the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. Verse 23, so the Lord rescued Israel that day. Here's the point. If you're going to see amazing things from the Lord, you've got to break through whatever fears you've got and begin to live boldly for Him. Last point is this. Courageous living is not a spectator sport. It's just not. There are some people that are concerned about the live attendance at professional sporting events. Even things something like the NFL, which has had great attendance is starting to see fewer people come it's it's a little bit now but they're concerned do you know why people aren't going to the games anymore because they can sit at home and watch the games on high definition television is what they've learned and going to the games to sit in a seat has become too much effort so the spectators think that spectating is too difficult now here's the deal 
In churches all across America today, there are more spectators than in any college or pro event that takes place. People that watch and observe, criticize and talk, claim to have allegiance, but are in no way involved in the action of the game. And if we're going to be people that are following the Lord and passionately pursuing Him, we have to be involved in making decisions and doing things for Him. I read the story this week of a um, pastor who was counseling a man that came to him and said, Pastor, I think the Lord is doing some good work in my life, and I think it's time for me to uh, quit my job and to go to seminary. You know, most of the time pastors are pretty excited about that kind of thing, and this pastor just sent something, though, and he said, well, well, why do you want to do it? He goes, I just feel like the Lord has called me to be an evangelist. He wants me to tell other people about Jesus. I said, that's great. He said, let me ask you a question. He goes, go ahead. He goes, now, what do you do? He goes, I'm a lawyer. He goes, that's right, you're a lawyer. He said, so you need to quit your law business, and you need to go to school so that you can tell people about Jesus. He said, yeah. He goes, how many of your clients have you ever told about Jesus? He said, well, none of them. I might lose their business. He said, so you're concerned about losing your entire, I mean, one person when you're getting ready to scrap your whole business anyway and go to school. And this pastor just sensed in him and he said, perhaps what the Lord is calling you to do is not to move away and go to seminary, but he's called you to boldly proclaim Jesus to the people that walk into your office. He said, until you're faithful to that, maybe you don't need to think about what the next step might be. Now, here's the question for you. When was the last time you boldly stepped out and did something, overcoming fear to serve the Lord? 